0: And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us here. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at richarddugan.com. And uh, we also uh, have podcasts. And those podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations, too numerous to mention. We certainly hope that you will also go to YouTube. We're on YouTube. That's right. You can see our guest and our conversation as we progress through. We hope that you will do just that. We also hope you go to our guest website. We'll be giving that to you shortly so that you can continue your evolutionary process. And we also hope that you will support us financially. We have PayPal account for your security as well as ours. We also – I realize I'm asking for a lot from you, listener, but – we also want you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. We started out the decade with the year of perfect vision, 2020. Now we want you to go within for the next nine years and hopefully beyond. Get to know yourself. Find that still, quiet, calm, peaceful place where you can re-energize and rejuvenate, and 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 get the answers to your questions for yourself that are there they've always been there and all you have to do is access so hope you'll do that our program today oh wait a minute i forgot something our program today is uh, going to be a fun one it's going to be interesting it's going to be exciting uh... it might be a little challenging for some uh... just because of where they are relationally with the rest of the world with their community uh... even with their loved ones or loved one, partner, what have you. We're going to be talking with Dr. Gary uh, Slater, uh, Slayer, Salier, I beg your pardon. Gary Salier is my guest, and he is going to talk to us about safe to love again. Really? Are you sure about that? How to release the pain of past relationships and create the love you deserve. And uh, Dr. Gary uh, Salyer, I thank you so much for joining us here on the
1: program and speaking to us about love. Thank you, Richard. It is great to be here. And again, so thank you very, very much.
0: You you know, and we don't have enough love in this world today. At least that's how it kind of feels uh, with all of the different things that are going on in the world and and the challenges that we all face. And I like to refer to them as challenges rather than, say, obstacles or or uh, chaos or catastrophes or if you want to use the word pandemic. okay, pandemic. But um, the thing is, is that we're always faced with challenges. Uh, even water, as it's flowing downhill, even remotely, is going to find the path of least resistance. But in order to be able to find the resistance in the first place, it has to flow in that direction. And say, oh, "I can't go that way, so I'm going to go a different way. And it just continues to flow. And that's what we need to learn how to do, and I'm, I'm hoping that that's what we're going to learn from you today on how to um, basically uh, acknowledge and realize the fact that it is safe to love again after being hurt. I mean, I've, I don't know about you, uh, mm-hmm. I've been through one divorce, and I made the promise to myself and my present wife, never again. I would never put myself through that ever again. Um, it was just, it was ridiculous. I was lucky that it was Arizona community property state. Whereas uh, my brother who was married in California, uh, had to deal with California law, which is much more complicated. It took him two years, uh, took me just under a year. Uh, so, uh, you know, I feel lucky in that respect, but I've also had relationships prior to that girlfriends or female friends who Didn't didn't work out. I mean, I I, matter of fact, uh, I think about um, a girl that I knew following high school. I was in college, junior college, and she lived on what would be considered the other side of the tracks. Okay, Uh, the north side as uh, usually the north or east. I don't know how this has happened, but the north side or the east side of the tracks is usually the more prosperous, abundant, wealthy side. Well to do, if you will. And that's kind of where she came from. And, um, you know, and I still remember she came over to my parents' house where we were all still living for Christmas one year. I have a picture of her that I've got stuffed away somewhere. And uh, I still remember her. And she was the sweetest gal. But I have a feeling that her parents had more to do with whether or not we were going to be together, period, or not. So these are the kinds of obstacles or challenges, if you will, that we face when it comes to our love life. Um, why did uh, what is it your interest? What What is your interest in? And I'm going to put it this way, personally. What's your interest in my love life? Why do you really care
1: about my love life, uh, Gary? Really? Come on. Why do I care about your love life? Well, you tell great stories, you know. Uh, it's funny, I came from the south side, which was kind of the poor side of town. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're little, I used to say across the railroad tracks, uh, across the tracks, and I was literally across the tracks, right? Oh, wow. I, I find wow. that to be interesting. Uh, you hear a lot across that. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested in love um, because, you know, if we're going to, you're talking about evolution, ev- you know, personal evolution. Uh, if we're going to raise consciousness, on this planet, if we're going to evolve, we have to, to move into more and more what I call secure love styles. Mm-hmm. Because these, these things we call love and relationships, the rules that we have, they go out and they affect the other places in our life. It will affect our business. It'll And then it affects politics. I mean, if you really look at everything, you can make a reasonable argument that people's what's called an attachment style affects everything because Mm -hmm. it really is the base programming in a a life and in a brain. So if you want to change the world, if you want to evolve, become more conscious, whatever you call it, you've got to address the love question. Now, I want
0: to throw this in there to add to what you've just said, and that is this. Uh, I've been through uh, some programs that speak of the intimacy factor within relationships. Uh Uh, Sex. Okay, folks, I'll say it. Sex. We're not supposed to talk about sex, politics, or religion at the dinner table, but we're not dining in that regard. Um, It is said that there is nothing that exists that man has created that wasn't created from the sexual energy that we all have flowing in us not specifically from the sexual acts but from that energy and there are those who for example i I, have heard this example used following lovemaking one of the partners and typically stereotypically it's the man falls asleep but there are others who are energized. They're charged up and ready to go to do something. They can't just lay there, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's where that's where the creative juices flow, if you will. Um, would you say that that when we are able to acknowledge that we deserve to be loved and to love, that we deserve all of these different aspects thereof, that we then start to get into that creative mode. And we also start to become uh, aware maybe of our life's purpose and start to
1: go in that direction. I wouldn't say all sexual activity does does that necessarily. There's no doubt. I mean, neuroscience knows that when a couple has sex, we all get these enlivening hormones Mm -hmm. that make Mm -hmm. us feel alive. And that actually uh, have medicinal properties for it. They give us longevity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been studies that point out that if, for women, that if you regularly make love to your husband, that you're going to prolong his life on an average of, about, I think it's about four years, mm-hmm. right? There's there's a mother nature rewards those who engage in procreation. <laughs> it's, and, it, and it energizes us. Now, I don't know that someone just out on a bar hitting on somebody or, Somebody who has some maybe sex addiction, this is a path to uh, creativity necessarily, because I think that type of sexual activity has downer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but generally speaking, ancients have known, I mean, tantra yoga and all that, that there's a sexual energy that increases <clears throat> our ability to function that day. That's why in tantra yoga, they, they tell co- uh, couples to. You know, you, you raise your sexual energy in the morning without necessarily an ejaculation, and that raises the energy but doesn't release it so you have more for the day. I, I've heard that, and I, I, I know I, I don't
0: think this is uh, um, a myth. I think this is actually true. For example, boxers who are in relationships uh, are told, do not have sexual relations uh, prior to a fight. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's been dismissed. Is it? Years. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that has been dismissed. Okay. Uh, but okay. I, it was just the idea of for thousands of years, we have known that there's an energy about sex that enlivens us. And why shouldn't it? It, it it releases all sorts of growth uh, hormones that pronounce that promote uh, health and it is connection. We were mm. wired for connection. Mm-hmm. The moment we feel connected, we feel more alive. More alive, we feel more safe. When we are safe, we, we are free to explore. You know, with think about it, <clears throat> are you going to be thinking about the ne- uh, creating the next David if you're if you're in a bomb shelter? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. you're not going to be thinking gosh i wonder what pigment i'm using next on my on my great work of art but so when you're connected you feel safe that's belonging and then that frees the human spirit to explore it's look at what happens with babies when babies are in a room and they feel they're being supervised they play with their toys when mom or dad goes away they don't that's just human nature
0: yeah You talk about uh, six rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's funny how um, uh, our our um, preamble to our constitution talks about the uh, you know we have these inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, You talk about six rights, and we'll talk about these one at a time here. And this this is something that's extremely important. This is uh, really the basis of my book choices. My second wife, my present wife, uh, went through a bout of cancer back in uh, 2001, 2001. She's fine and free and clear of it, has been for uh, um, 15, 17, 17, 18 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first question that I asked her following, it was either before or after her surgery, I, I asked her point blank I says do you want to live or do you want to die I may not like your choice but I will respect it whatever it is and of course she chose to live so when we're in a love in a relationship and it ends badly poorly divorce whatever um, we start to go get down on ourselves and the first right that you talk about uh, because this right kind of goes out the window almost when we when we have those, those uh uh, down downsides of the relationship is that i don't even deserve to exist and the reality is we have first of all first right is the right to exist no matter how somebody shall we say dumps you or separates from you or disconnects from you you have the
1: right to exist let's talk a little more about that okay now one of the things if like with these missing rights i talk. let's If somebody already had a missing right to exist, they had it in childhood, and then they get into a relationship and it goes south, that will more likely get activated than someone who maybe that wasn't their their missing right. Mm -hmm. So it depends. Not everybody has that feeling, I don't exist, but it will, anytime you go through a divorce, if you walk in with a set of missing rights and things kind of got better and good for a while, and so they kind of go underground, they're still there kind of like the you know the san andreas is still is still down there <laughs> yeah
0: in spite a of the fact bit. that i've been hearing we're waiting for the big one since the uh early uh 70s yes exactly
1: <laughs> but that's so if you haven't done your work yes a good relationship for a while can can mitigate that but if you haven't really healed it then when you have a traumatic experience like uh, divorce it's this oh my god i don't even have a right to exist. your brain will default and explain it by saying up oh, there's that i don't have a right to exist the old wound gets reactivated so you know and i think all of us you know uh for me it was a missing right to i had more right to separate than to belong i talked about that mm-hmm. and for me I thought, here I am, alone again, naturally. by the, Remember the song of the 70s? Oh, yeah. Nielsen? I think it was Nielsen, alone again, naturally, yeah. the song. I, I can I hear it in my head it. right now. I hear it in my head right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember in high school, I hated it. And I didn't know why I hated it, because it kind of reminded me of my childhood, right? Yeah. Way again. And those things pop up. That's why it's so, and probably they contributed to some extent to the demise of the relationship. They usually do with the couples that I work with, these yeah. missing rights. So you're right on that. And, you know, it's sometimes a divorce can be a call to look inside and to fix the to restore the rights that we were given so we can go on and have what you have a happy marriage. Yeah.
0: Well, and and that's what's interesting. And I I have to say that I was my first marriage lasted 15 years, um, probably five years longer than it should have. Because at around that 10-year mark, my wife at that time decided that she wanted to, to uh, uh, live uh, a hermit's life. She just didn't want to do anything. Um, really? Now, she was totally blind. And again, this is not to bash her. I, this is not a, a bash my ex-wife uh, period. Uh, but, uh, you know, she wanted to, she, she didn't want to do anything. And she was a very embittered blind woman. She felt like the world owed her Now, I actually had a phase like that in my life early on in my early 20s prior to meeting her where uh, I'm sitting there before I went to college. I took about six months off from high school to college and um, I'm sitting there watching soap operas. And my mother says, why don't you go get a job at a radio station, a Christian radio station? No, I don't want them shoving their beliefs down my throat. And yeah. I says, I said, you know, that, you know, uh, the state's the one that labeled me legally blind. I didn't do this to me. They did. So and I'm playing the victim there.
1: Yes.
0: And so um, as 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 our relationship went along, um, it, it, it was good. I mean, I still remember a lot of the good times and we did. We had some wonderful times. But when she decided she wanted to not do anything um i didn't want to be the person that took care of her from from that standpoint for the rest of my life you know i didn't want to be a caregiver i wanted to be in a relationship and we didn't have that so um and that went on and i kept telling myself here's here's where the logic came in and i think that it was maybe illogic as opposed to logic i am a smart and intelligent individual and i can make this work yeah. all right I I know I can make this work I'm not gonna to try to change her but I'm just gonna to try to make this work and that's just where I was coming from at the time and my influences when it came to love were people like Dr. Leo Buscaglia the late Dr. Leo Buscaglia the love doctor as they called him
1: he was a great uh, That was a great wrote.
0: I still have a cassette se- uh, a cassette tape series of his stash away some back back in my archives Ooh, Wow uh, Gerald Jampolsky's love is letting go of fear Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean the list goes on and so i you know you know i'm reading all these different books and and we're still reading together and doing different things and again i just got to the point where i want the full meal deal that was the way i phrased it back then i want the full meal deal i don't want to i don't want this this is not what i signed up for uh so that's another part of this this aspect of Creating your own experience. That's another one of the one of the rights that, that you talk about. Creating uh-huh. your own experience. Now on the one hand, uh, as far as the relationship I was in, I created that experience. Exactly. Okay.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and so
0: so that's the first step. We have to own that we created the experience that we're not happy with in the first place. We yeah. have to own it. Not blame ourselves but
1: own it. there's a big difference between owning and blaming right? Yeah it's it's asking yourself the question, gosh, of all the experiences I could have had, I wonder how I'm creating this instead of why or blame or you know take responsibility and just notice how your brain is creating it. That's mm-hmm. the life-changing question. yeah.
0: And then once you've owned it, uh, you then can begin the process of making changes. And I still remember the conversation that I had with her father, and it was in the kitchen of our home at the time. And um, I had met somebody else, but it didn't have anything to do with the relationship that we were in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he asked me, point blank, he says, so does this woman have anything to do with the reason why you're doing what you're doing? And I said, no. And it was one of the first times I ever really stood up to him. He's a big burly guy. Russian. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Oh, Russian. Yeah.
0: And uh, he, uh, yeah. And um, I finally, I said to him just before I walked out of that house, almost for the last time, I said, why don't you ask your daughter why I'm leaving? You know? And um, I had already shared with her mother my ex-mother-in-law, my former mother-in-law, uh, the reasons why the relationship was the way it was. And I remember one Thanksgiving afternoon, I was standing in the kitchen doing the dishes at their house, at the parents' house, parents-in-law's. And she came up to me and she says, I am so sorry for what you're going through. Mm. So she understood what yeah. I was going through. But at the same time, I'm not again, I'm not casting blame on my ex-wife, you know. But at yeah. least my mother-in-law understood the the, what, the the situation that I was going through. And it also allowed me to start looking at, and this is another part of this that I'd like to talk about in some of the details. I began to realize why my first wife and I married in the first place. And they were for two different reasons. Okay. Hers was what to was get it? out of her parents' house. Say that again? She wanted to get out of her parents' house. Oh, yeah. Okay. She was That's dependent the upon them. Uh, they were very, you know, they weren't really controlling, but nonetheless, you know, their parents Mm -hmm. and for some reason at that time, and I was 23 when we married, I wanted somebody to take care of. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 15 years later, I said, I don't want to take care of somebody, not like this. So, uh,
1: so you married somebody that you had more right to give than to receive, and then later you resented it,
0: and I yeah,, but it was on me, and i I, I realized yeah. that. I don't resent her. i it's it was on me. I take responsibility. I own it, and I yeah. blame myself. I just own it. Now, my present wife and I, I don't buy into the stereotypes that you see on TV and in movies where the guy mm-hmm. is some kind of a dumb doofus, you know, and yes, dear, okay, dear. I'm sorry, dear. And the wife is the <coughs> controlling, you know, wench, if you will. Uh, who basically uh, manipulates him, and it's, each one is trying to get one up on the other. Uh-uh. I learned from my parents, who are both in their late 80s and still alive and kicking and doing well, it's a team, not a competition.
1: Yes, it is. It's a we, not two me's.
0: Yeah, and I have to be honest with you, I've had to learn that over and over again as my present wife and I, um, uh, as we move forward. I mean, she's she's 69. I'm 60. I'm excited and thrilled about being 60. Uh, it's a great time. I thought about it for the last 45, 50 years, because mathematically it was like, wow, I was born in 1960. And then when I'm 60, it'll be 2020. I mean, I'm, I'm all into numbers and patterns, right? Yes. And here I am. Here we are. And we're working together to build a greenhouse, and we yeah. work together to do this, and we work together to do that. And I listen to her. How important would you say is using our intuition, that sixth sense, so to speak, how important is that in uh, learning to love again?
1: Well, if, if you mean by intuition, the, the ability to connect to your feelings, I think most times ah. what people associate with intuition is being, have a better connection with their right brain and their body, which controls their emotional receptivity and responsiveness. Mm-hmm. If if by that you mean you have more, you're tracking, and you have more access to the way your brain is naturally scanning all around you, your right brain is doing context all day long. But if you've got a missing right to exist, and you switched into a more intellectual mode, and you went into your head, and you and you separated from your body and your emotions... It's you know it's looks like some sort of psychic process, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's really more right brain access. If you're talking about that, all love depends on the flow of energy between you and your beloved and the and energy is emotions. That's it's a it's I think it, you know, people talk about all energy, all states of matter have a vibration. Mm-hmm. That's
0: basically right. the yeah. way
1: physics works in human beings is emotional frequency. Emotional states, mm-hmm. and if you can under, if you're more in tune with that, then you have intuition. I know that for myself, there was a period of time where, for many decades, it was just a whole lot safer to tune to my own f- uh, self and get into my head and intellectually than to tune into the emotions of somebody else. Principally because when you're three and four with a violent, angry, chaotic, borderline mother. You don't want to switch in because it was overwhelming. So I learned to stay on self, so to speak, mm-hmm. versus switch in. Right. When I learned to be safe with my emotions and emotions in general, and I got past the sort of masculine stereotype out there, the Marlboro man without any feelings. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> it was, I, I. the way I describe it, it was like a blind man getting a sight back. Oh, wow. It really was. Uh, suddenly... I'm seeing and hearing things in real time, and I'm not missing cues, especially with women, and they're no longer mysteries. They're Mm. not that, you know, you can read them pretty, pretty quick and Mm -hmm. pretty well if you can read their emotions. But if you're in your head, uh, oh, my gosh, I I could tell you a story about that (laughs) to illustrate it. Yeah, go ahead, please. You know, it was just so much easier to be in my head than my emotions, because it was how I downgraded all those horrible emotions coming from a borderline mother. But I couldn't see that. Couldn't see that. There was a, you know, so, but I did, you know, that helped me survive. In my first marriage, you know, she is complained several times that she doesn't feel like I I'm tracking her. Right. Ah. And I, I don't get what she needs or I'm not getting what she's really requesting. Um, what what couples calls research calls bids bids for attention bids for support and you're supposed to turn toward them about 86 percent of the time that's what good marriages do and poor ones about 33 percent of that and attuned timely response back versus turning away or turning against or turning it back to yourself that's a, a new one i created just observing couples myself mm-hmm. and the day came when she told me that We've been married four or five years. And what does a good intellectual who has learned to survive by being on his head do? I go out and I go, well, I love my wife. I am going to read five books on women and I'm going to get this thing down. And in my 20s, I'm a very good student. So as we (coughs) read them all, I've coded and collected all that information in my head. And I I start doing things that, you know, that uh, I think women what women really mm-hmm. really <laughs> and she and I, and we have and so sometimes she'd do something and ask for something and i get it wrong and she and i say well you know the book said that women like this and then another time i if i miss something i well that's interesting because this book said women like this <laughs> and then i that happened about 10 times you know and, and then one day I said, you know, that's really interesting because this other book said women like this. And she, she goes, Gary, my name is, I won't mention her name. You know, she goes, my name is not women. My name is, and she goes, read me, not the darn book. <laughs> you know? Wow. Now, it never wow. dawned on me yeah. that it was about reading her. Mm. And how frustrating it is for, uh, you know, a guy in his head who is trying to love her. But without yeah. that emotional connection, I could, you know, these days I could have read her like a book, you know, yeah. but the book of her, not the book, not, you know, the books I had chosen to read, right? And so, you know, that's what, if you're talking of that's into intuition in real time for most couples, it's just emotional access. And the question, if you're out there listening, is, If you don't have that, don't make yourself wrong. Some part toned it down because it was the best deal available, you know, and if it was no, no brain gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to turn off some faculty of mine just to screw with my master. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. It's always the best deal.
0: You know, it's very interesting how you put this because one of the things that I'm looking at on your website, and I said I would give out the website to our guests shortly. Well, it's now shortly. This is the part of the program we call shortly, Gary. <laughs> shortly. This is the part called shortly. That's right. <laughs> GarySalyer.com. That's G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-R. Uh, E-R, that's
1: s y e r y e r
0: okay <laughs> folks there are two y's in the website okay folks uh, and again it's gary oh, no, there's, it's no, there's
1: only one y s a o y e r
0: well but there's a there's a y in gary
1: oh that's right oh that's right <laughs> <laughs> i never spelled my well, name i'll
0: like. tell you what you know you talk about uh, the difference between reading the books and reading your partner um, yes. and one of the things that, is, that has struck me is That. My wife is she is a a, she's she's an empath. All right. So Mm -hmm. she picks up on other people's emotions. And for many years, she did not understand that. And it frustrated her to no end.
1: Oh, that she's an empath. And you were not.
0: Well, I have a feeling that I am, but not to the degree that I would let those emotions of others come in. I could pick up on them most of the time, but it wasn't like they would come inside and then I'm confused as to, does that belong to me or does that belong to someone else? Yes. But there's another aspect of it too, and this is sort of the intuition aspect, and that is, and you've heard this before, where uh, couples, they're all, they're all, they're both on the same page at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they may even uh, come up with the same idea uh, at the same time. Now, whether, whether this is just out of familiarity or whether it's something else, uh, a deeper, more metaphysical and esoteric, uh, is, the person's going to have to judge. But there are times when we're sitting there watching TV and, you know, we've already kind of planned we're going to go do this thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's make a meal. Maybe it's go someplace uh, to the grocery store or, you know, whatever. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, I'd like to, I think, I think today, tonight, let's, let's pull out that steak out of the refreezer and and thaw that and have that for dinner. And all of a sudden she'll say, hey, you want to, you want to cook steak on the grill tonight? I didn't say a word. Yeah. And granted, yes, maybe there's a certain level of familiarity. Or I'm thinking, you know, we got a few extra bucks. Why don't we go here for uh, for a meal? And she might say it. Or vice versa. Um, We're working on a greenhouse right now. Or I might be felling a tree that's died on the property where we live. Or I need to cut the weeds around the house to reduce fire danger. Or whatever it is. And if I'm out there doing these things... I'm not hearing her say, oh, please, Richard, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. No. She is offering me advice. Okay. She's done this on a number of occasions where she's offered, you know, maybe you should try doing this. And I have to bite my tongue and press my ego down a little bit saying, calm down. She's there to help. She's not trying to keep you from doing anything. She's only trying to keep you alive. Okay. Okay. So when I'm out there by myself, and I was doing this with a tree I was trying to cut down, and I moved the ladder around the tree eight or nine times, and I've told this story many times, I couldn't get the tree, the the ladder into the right position. I had a chainsaw. I was ready to go, cut the top down to make sure it falls in the right place. I couldn't figure it out. I thought, you know what? Because she said this many times. You know, there's plenty of time. So I put the chainsaw away, left the ladder against the tree, went in the house for the night. Came out the next day, moved the ladder into, the, into one position, boom, cut the tree, it's done. Everything fell the way it was supposed to. Nobody was hurt. Nothing was broken, injured, what have you. I find that that kind of connectedness, it's almost empathic or telepathic, if you will, mm-hmm. where, and, and maybe it's more because she, she, she cares so much about my welfare And vice versa, but she cares so much about my welfare when I'm out there doing stuff that I am sort of on that wavelength, if you will. You talked about, you know, vibration and so forth.
1: Yes.
0: I'm on the same wavelength. Now, whether she is consciously feeling that while she's in the house doing whatever she's doing while I'm outside doing the manly things, Um, I don't know. All I know is, again, this goes back to the concept of it's a team effort, not a competition, where I'm going to do this and I'm going to show her, you know, I'm, I'm a man, you know. I'm a man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, would you say that that's a different, is that something that's, that's along the same lines? Not so much of intuition, but of that connection and that bond that two people have uh, if they spend a great deal of time together?
1: Well, there's no doubt that uh, nervous systems to um, partners they they co-regulate each other. Mm-hmm. This idea that we, we're going to self-regulate—that's BS. There's science behind this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, couples—if you you know their heart rates will sync up for good and bad. By the way,
0: oh okay, you know, their heart
1: rate after a while, you know, nervous systems tend to align and they find that place where both connect Uh, if someone's more anxious they tend to raise the the level and the heartbeat of the other one if someone's more calm it tends to calm them down but they tend to to sync up Uh, you could also there's some you know there's some other things like the heart math institute points out that the heart seems to have an awareness uh it's got this funny thing it starts to react for something about three to five seconds sometimes before things happen Mm. it's got some sort of Prescient knowledge, it, it intuits, and we're, a lot of times we're not connected, but I do believe that women, you know, they're born to be connected. They, the, the biological, the evolutionary psychology of a woman yeah. is to to have more emotional sensors and that our emotional brain is always picking up context. Men tend to live more in their left brain, where, by the way, we don't have an emotional processor women have emotional processors on both sides Mm -hmm. of the brain. Oh, this is why men can compartmentalize. Okay. So not only do they have emotional processors on both sides of the brain, and by the way, we men were never meant to live in our left brain, just go there in emergencies like when the, you know, when the boar turns back around and thinks we're lunch. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Right? But if the emotional processors on both sides of the brain under stress their brains throw eight times the amount of blood flow at their emotional processors. Whereas from a man's brain, it throws eight times the amount of blood flow at their logical problem solving errors. This is why men try to fix versus feel. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then add that in with the fact that women's emotional memory, the part in their brain is about double the size of a man's, which is part of the reason why in an argument, it's tough to deal <laughs> with the details yeah when well, we can throw at you because they've got they've got the storehouse twice the size right uh um, and but the point being is they're they're there their brains are meant to connect a lot and gather a lot of information and they have more access typically speaking than men do and it's there's some biological reasons the brain storage and the emotional processes are you know, a factor of four <laughs> mm-hmm. over that doesn't mean men that doesn't give us a pass to to be emotional automatons or to be right. dismissive right we uh there are fine examples of loving attuned fathers and dads and and friends right i have some really good friends who are uh man men uh, one goes back to third grade and you know he's a fine man who understands feelings right he's also he was also an athlete in college right you know so um, I think what you're talking about and what your wife's doing is this using this intuitive matrix that's a little more heightened for her. And she's doing exactly what she do, should do. She's cherishing and protecting her. Yeah. And I will Especially tell you. if you've got a saw on your, on your face.
0: <laughs> well, bear in mind, and I've shared this before too, for one of my birthdays, she actually gave me a machete. I am not kidding you. Wow. Uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. However, uh, the the opposite side of that is for Christmas a year or two ago, because she wanted one, I gave her a crossbow. No. So, so so you can you
1: can <laughs> like Hawkeye like, like yeah. and the
0: Avengers exactly. <laughs> you kind of you kind of get an idea of the kind of relationship we have, where these are not going to be used on each other. Uh, I use it to cut down the weeds sometimes if they get way too tall, and uh, she is in the process of learning how to target shoot. You know, and I'll tell you what, I would rather have a crossbow than a firearm any day uh, because you're not going to hear it coming, uh, you know, and 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 so forth. But be that as it may, we're talking (coughs) with Gary Salyer, Gary Salyer, Dr. Gary Salyer. It is. He says that it is safe to love again. And we're going to we're going to continue talking about how to release the pain of past relationships and create the love that you deserve. That's one of the rights too. that. We deserve love. Now, we need to be real clear on what we're talking about when we talk about we deserve love. Uh, just recently, I've seen a couple of uh, a movie or two and a television series episode <clears throat> where the guys in particular feel that they deserve. And so they basically Take what they want. And of course, we've had a period of time and it's obviously still going on in this country, but around the world where guys have that attitude. I'm the man and I deserve. uh, It's your wifely duty or whatever the whatever the terminology is, et cetera, et cetera. And basically they. They take the rights away from other individuals, women in particular, but whatever the partner arrangement is, they take the other individual's right to life and liberty, if you will.
1: That's called avoidance attachment. Right.
0: (laughs) Okay. And, and, and they, again, they take what they want. Now, I remember as a young man going around and trying to uh, and to and and having a few dates here and there didn't have a lot but a few and what i found was how many damaged women there were Mm -hmm. and i'm not kidding you i felt ashamed to be a member of the male of the species because of the damage they were doing i grew up with four sisters and a mother yes i have a great yeah i have a great deal of respect I honor my sisters. Uh, I, I appreciate the, what they've accomplished in their lives. Um, the, the, they're all, my eldest plays the French horn, but they all sing beautiful voices. I wish I had spent more time around the house to hear that. Um, and, and, and women have so much to contribute to us as men. Mm-hmm. And when we take that ego centered, macho, narcissistic, pathological, position we 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 throw all that out the window and we deny ourselves the uh you know the opportunity to learn from them i mean they're 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 half the species which means they have they're half the equation we are half the equation and if we don't learn how to work together then we we don't accomplish much. And sometimes I look at our civilization, Gary, and sometimes I think we haven't accomplished much at all. Yeah, we've got great technology. But when it comes to relationships and that type of thing, it just doesn't seem like we've gone, come very far. Can you talk a little bit about all of this? I know that's yeah, a lot. That's yeah. a, I'm dumping a big old pile there, but there you go.
1: Well, there's two. Look. In the last 40 to 50 years, we've done more research on attachment and couples research. We do know what works and what doesn't work. Back in the 70s and 80s, we were just saying, well, we can recreate all those old traditional patterns based on an old stereotypical uh, male sexual from the 40s and 50s, right? And then that blew up because there's no way you can strip a woman of all of her you take a woman who was meant to raise children with support in a, in a women's group, like it happened in more agrarian or tribal stuff, where the women were helping. There, you'd have other women in the group, and you put isolate them, put them with three or four children, and then and then you know give them no economic power, no choice. And you wonder why the depression rates went through the roof and why sex went through the basement, right? Because they weren't. And then the '60s things exploded. How can we have better? But we raised expectations and we didn't raise the ability. So that created such disappointment, it created a 50% divorce rate. But since then, the upshot was people said, so what would reverse this? And, And we know, I mean, what skill set masters use and what skill sets the disasters use as the Gottman research. We understand. I mean, my book is about what will wire your brain to actually do those skills because it's not enough to know skills. If you don't have a right to really be loved, you know, what you were talking about is, is a right to love and be loved back, right? The men you talked about that just want to take more right to, they're takers, they're more right to to receive, they have a grandiose right to have their needs met. Yeah. And they have more right to separate than to belong. There's no belonging in that no right to love and to love back. Okay. So these, what you talked about is called avoidant attachment, they got usually wired from birth for that. And um, the thing with avoidant attachment, it usually doesn't, you know, they're not motivated until the day it doesn't work. Uh, and, you know, there's a huge difference between taking sex and actually loving somebody. Yeah. Uh, And there's been more entitlement. There's been some studies to point out that 40% of couples um, uh, have sex on a first date. And yet, a lot of those women, because I've had them for clients, think if I don't give it up on the first two or three, one, two or three dates, a man won't be with me. They've played that avoiding card. But the fact, but they want... <clears throat> lasting love. And there is another study that p- points out that when <clears throat> people are dating sleep in the first month together, first 30 days, <clears throat> 90% of the time, or as it was 90 or 95% of the time, they are not together in a year. If they wait a day, 31 to 90, 75% of the time they're together. Hmm. So this whole take thing, it's good for just the players. And the fact of the matter is, there's some studies that show that they're not getting as much sex as they think. Because in secure love, in a lasting relationship, here's another little thing to know about love. This is a right to love and be loved back. Uh, they, they found out that when men in a relationship are willing to give really great rituals of, of, of disconnection and reconnection. What does that mean? And when you leave for work in the morning, you have a six-second kiss. You hug in a non-erotic way. You're not grabbing for any body parts mm-hmm. right? <laughs> is what that is, right? Uh, and you say and you give a really great hug and you ask them how what's going on with their day. Uh, and you check in a few times in the middle of the day, maybe a heart text or just call for five minutes over lunch. And then when you come in, there's you welcome them with joy. Oh, my God. It's so great seeing you. How was your day? You give them another six-second kiss. You give them a hug and just check in, just with a few kisses and hugs and a few check-ins. 75% of the time, those men uh, initiated sex. They were met with a yes. Now, if you take the, I'm going to take and not give back, and you don't give cherished and protected to your woman, and you leave, and you say, "Well, well I'm going to work." You, there's no kiss, there's no hug, there's no check-in during the day—the whole avoidant thing, right? You come in, and you go, "Oh, honey, um, I, I got this big thing. I got a—oh, wait a minute. I got—I'm so—I'm yeah, you know, it's really great seeing you, but I, let me see see if I can do it on my my cell phone here, right? And there's no hug, or you hug, and you're grabbing body parts. You get it. You when that when that guy initiates sex, it's a six percent yes rate. So the fact of the matter is, um, if you understand what secure love is, your secure love is is the right to be part to have partnership and passion. And uh, those men are missing out on a great deal. Yeah. Not only the depths of what it means to actually make love to a woman versus just have sex, but they are cutting down their chances of having. Uh, eventually, the well dries up because <laughs> and. And, and what happens is these men get divorced. They get into the dating pool and they leave a string of wounded women for the, uh, and it's not good. Yeah. The current dating system. And that doesn't mean that, and those women then get defensive and leave a string of wounded men.
0: <laughs> yeah. It it, and it, it that, goes down. And both. This
1: is why, yeah. and this is why getting back to secure love. I'm not saying you wait till marriage. I, you know, but, uh, there is a process of secure love and the dating apps don't seem to be their introduction. They're not dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. this is why I wrote the book. So people could have a roadmap to know that if you don't give the feelings of welcome yeah. with joy, worthy and nourished, cherished and protected, and empowered with choice, and you're not receiving those same four feelings, it's a feeling thing. Mm-hmm. That tells you if you're in a good relationship or not. If you're giving and receiving, welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered, you're in a pretty good relationship. That's a loving relationship. That's your brain's natural GPS for love. It's online at about comes online by one to two. And your brain recognizes that as love. <clears throat> but if you get into your head, you'll try to, you know, then it, love looks like, well, it's just taking. And eventually, or it's dominating. And this is usually when... Early on, I guarantee you that that guy did not feel loved. And one thing I have learned over the years with clients is that when someone doesn't feel loved and because love is a form of safety <coughs> and belonging, they will opt for power instead. Mm. Yeah. When they can't find safety through love and belonging. They will find it on their own through power. Every time I've met someone who's obsessed with power, control, or domination, I know they did not learn to trust in love. Yeah. And
0: of course, a lot of this is taught to us from the moment we come out of the womb. and
1: oh, absolutely. Before and, the womb. Back and and the even before pastor. the womb.
0: Now, here's here's an interesting fact that I had to research because I was challenged on this and I researched it and I found out that uh, it's true. Every single human being who has ever existed, exists or will exist, started their existence, not not their life and birth after birth, but their existence as a female.
1: That's exactly right. First and I re- 21 days, you and I were both female. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Ergo,
0: we aren't separated from the, the, the female or feminine side. We are, if the, if the word is correct, we are indelibly connected or I don't even want to say connected. We are indelibly a part of, uh, in a, an interview I did with Diane Colson, I Mm -hmm. beg your pardon, Diane Collins, who wrote the book, uh, Do You Speak Quantum? Uh, Do You you Quantum Think? We were talking about this concept of holistic and holographic. Now, Mm -hmm. in grade school, they showed us a film of what a hologram is. They had this giant sheet of glass. And -hmm. they had this incredible 3D image of this building. Mm -hmm. They broke the glass. And they showed Many of the larger pieces, each one of those pieces contained the whole. Yes, exactly. In audio editing and the program that I use, when I am recording as I am with this program and I am doing editing in what's referred to as the multi-track session and I splice and I edit and I do effects in the channels and all of this kind of stuff in the different tracks, I am doing what is called non-destructive editing. And if Mm -hmm. I take a two-minute piece and I cut it in half and I separate them by an hour, it doesn't matter how long I separate them, but I click on one of them and I open it up in the edit view window, it's Mm -hmm. the whole wave. I go back to the multitrack and I go to the other wave that's an hour down the line and I double-click on that. It's still the whole wave. So I am working with holographic representations in my sound editing when i'm doing it in multi-track version so when we were talking about this and this goes to what your point there is no separation now we've been taught we've been programmed that there is that in order for me to communicate with the god above i must Mm -hmm. go to the man in the wooden box or confessional uh, to confess my sins. And I was born and raised Catholic. So there, there's my uh-huh. connection.
1: I figured that. <laughs> <All right>. so,
0: <laughs> and uh, uh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, and I have no clue as to how many decades it's been since my last confession. Yes. Um, but I don't need that. Now, certainly yes. that's great, maybe on an emotional level, psychological, what have you. But realistically, I don't need to do that. And the real big kicker is I don't need to be to be getting forgiveness from anyone else but myself. That's a real important. But it's this whole idea of the separateness as opposed to the connectedness. And, of course, when you say connectedness, you still are making reference to parts. On one level, we are parts. But on another level, we're not. Uh, Was it was is it isn't it uh, Schrodinger's theory that there's only one mind? Might be. I think one of the physicists has said that that there is a single mind in what we know yeah. of as the universe. Exactly. So and it's we. A, it's a consciousness. Yeah. There's a form of consciousness. And, and we as individuals are all connected to that one mind. So then I have to wonder, too, in what we were talking about earlier, a husband and wife and being on the same page and all of those kinds of things, if we aren't just tapped into that same one mind. The work that you do to help people, which is a beautiful thing. And I applaud you for it. And I'm glad you and many others are there to do that, especially through the work you've done through Safe to Love Again, which, by the way, I see over your shoulder there on your bookcase strategically placed. Thank you very much. As well as the (laughs) poster on the board on the other side, just uh, above the flowers, the roses there. That's beautiful. Um, Thank you. I use the analogy from Star Trek of the Borg. They all come from different parts of the universe, and there they are. Now, set aside the malefic aspects, okay, of how they were were gathered. Set that aside. We're talking about the infrastructure now. So they're all wired up, and they're all communicating through, let's call it Wi-Fi, as we know it. Uh, But each one of them has a different task towards a single goal. Well, I feel that that's what you and I as individuals are all about when we are tapped into that single mind, you've got a task, I've got a task, but we're all in a manner of speaking, going in the same direction. Is that sort of the attitude that individuals really do need to take when it comes to getting into relationship that you, you really, and you're, again, you do not want to sacrifice your hopes, dreams, and desires. For the sake of love. Okay. My parents told me they wanted the big family regardless of the visual impairments that each one of us acquired as they had six offspring. Um, So they didn't sacrifice anything that was their desire, their intent. So let's talk about that.
1: Well, you know. I want to backtrack to the part where you're talking about a holographic. Universe. Sure. Okay, please. Yeah, the, you know the model is, is like, if you could look at the structure of a molecule, sometimes you can see the structure of the crystals, and it will have the same shape. Yeah. Then, as you see, uh, larger crystals have the same shape as smaller crystals. And then rocks, and then the bigger rock formations in the mountain, and the mountain will have the same shape. Now, my book is based on a holographic model. Uh-huh. What I call it is isomorphic states. Ooh, I like that. call it holographic. Uh, yeah. So That's- we get the first little interactions as a child. And they have a certain shape of, of non-responsiveness or the type of response. Okay? That's like the little atom, right? Because all attachment is little tiny moments. Uh, you know, it's, you know, you guys get this idea 36 roses is the big moment and i gave it to you three months ago but it's every mo- little little moment of of response in between so the the bottom line the dollar bill in the economy of attachment is the bid for attention okay mm-hmm. the little tiny thing is uh, you know of uh, gosh where's the salt honey <laughs> little things like that are noticing the eyes went down when you said something or their head went back little things, right? And then responding or repairing if you got it wrong. These cumulation, they have a certain shape. Yeah. And these shapes become these six rights that I talk about. Mm -hmm. And each right, and for me, when I'm doing the work with a client, I've got, you know, I'll be training some therapists at the end of the week on how to do it. And I can feel the energy and there's a certain shape to that person's energy and it fits their earlier experience and it fits these rights. Now those those early, you can call them adaptations of how they defended against poor responses called missing rights. Well, these rights will then play out as patterns in their their childhood and then there are predictable patterns with the same shape that create couple patterns. And if you take those couple patterns, they will sh- also. I pointed out in chapter three, people will show up with patterns in love, and then they will have the same patterns with their roommates. In in their business, show me somebody that can't reach. They didn't. That they reached out and they couldn't get their response back. Then they have more right to reach out, and they're always and they choose a taker because they don't have a right to receive. And then and then in the business, they complain in love. I got a taker. I, a man that doesn't give to me, like you were talking about, and, but in business, they'll also say, "Gosh, I'm always giving freebies, never receiving, or I never charge my value." Mm-hmm. Suddenly, or they didn't have a right to really belong in a we; they had more right to separate. And then in the business, the same shape will be: they always they'd either don't have coaching, or they have lot, or they pick non-supportive staffs that will flake on them. <laughs> They will match this, and then you can even track it into how people lead in politics. These are all micro, it's from microcosm to macrocosm. And my book is based on a holographic, what I call isomorphic concept of how little tiny moments of a connection or disconnection or or reconnection, they become shapes called these rights or right to exist right to have your needs met, right to separate and belong to we, not all me, not all we, right to create your own experience, right to assert and right to love and be loved back. And those will have predictable patterns in adults. What the book does, attachment theory for decades had a problem. There was childhood attachment and adult attachment, and they had a hard time linking them up if you don't see holographically. Mm -hmm. But the moment you see the isomorphic shapes (laughs) of these experiences, it's now suddenly you can ask the question. So if you go back and you change that initial feeling, which is like the initial molecular structure, right? And you give people back these feelings they feel, not just thoughts, not just beliefs, not just stories, not just skills, but these feelings, the feelings create a whole cascade of same-shaped experiences because the brain will use that feeling to create and attract and recreate more experiences. So what you're getting at, the heart of my book is if we get a little more abstract, it is the holographic nature of human existence, quantum existence. And this is, and I've just made it set in in a very practical way because couples need practical. (laughs) Singles need practical. So, If I am understanding what you just said,
0: we need to learn if we want, whether it's love in our lives. uh, And then, of course, you talked earlier about how that cascades into so many other wonderful things in our lives, in all of the different areas of our lives. We then need to learn how to. I want to say change our emotional responses and or reactions to our past experiences in order to change the vibration, in order to change our future so it doesn't become like our past that we're, in other words, we always have to, we have to reframe our past. So we respond differently to those pasts, past experiences. So as to bring about a different result for our future.
1: Am I hearing you? That is part of it. That is part of it. You need to feel and reframe how we feel about the past. But what if the deeper work is this going back, and finding so say someone was given unwelcomed or unworthy or not so cherished or disempowered. That feeling is is running the show. Unworthy people will find a taker. Disempowered people will find a dominator or they'll lose themselves in a relationship. People that don't feel cherished will try to do it all on their own. <laughs> mm. Right. This is okay. part of
0: the law of attraction yeah. too, as well. What you're talking about. It is. Yeah.
1: But it is. Che- it is literally <clears throat> changing out the feeling in the base of the brain, the feeling, it, and then it has to resonate in the body as well. If we can change so they, their body and their brain and their soul feels worthy. If you can get the brain to find out what form of safety the brain was seeking the moment it pulled worthy or empowered off or any of the other feelings, right? Because it wasn't safe. It would not have been safe to have a a right to assert with a borderline mother. It was not safe to feel empowered. But if we find the exact flavor and we we give that feeling back Coding in the flavor that safety needs, the brain will go, yes, I can feel worthy. Yes, I can feel empowered. These feelings dictate it. Now, if you reframe the past and you don't change, swap out those feelings, this is the core of my new feeling, you will not change their, male, their, their response. It, they, this is more like working with limiting beliefs. You can swap out a new belief for an old belief, but, the, but all limiting beliefs are there to explain those original feelings. Sometimes they can come from later in life. I'll grant you that. Like uh, one client that was 14 and she had a very secure love style, totally loving parents, but she was abducted and and, and raped. That will do it too. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was, a, that was a, but that can happen. But for most times, it's these early feelings. If we can swap them out, It is, it is, it is, then the the brain, if you don't swap it out, the brain will just come up with another limiting belief. To put it like this you look at the mountain that has the big, the shape, and then you see the more rock dimension, then you see the smaller rocks, and then you see them, and then you see the the crystals, and then you see the molecules. If you go and take, imagine we had a starship, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we could take phases and recarve a different shape to all those, those those mountains and mm-hmm. things and we don't change the the molecular structure given enough time it will reset oh it will reset because the original the original structure at the molecular level will eventually recast itself mm-hmm. This is when couples re- relapse or singles keep repeating. It's because a coach worked with the prefrontal cortex, which doesn't run the feelings. And they work with their story. Or they work with their belief or they work with skills. So long as that feeling is at the bottom, it will continue to create the basic matrix for the shape of all their experience. They will just, they can t- eventually, the, if you don't change the feeling, the brain will go, that's not true. Mm. There's, and we'll just come up with a different belief. Yeah. They'll say, oh, well, well, I can't use this one. For instance, someone may have a feeling, you know, limiting beliefs come in three sh- sizes, essentially. There's something's wrong with the universe. Love is so screwed. Modern love sucks. <laughs> Something is wrong with them. All men are, all women are. And something's wrong with me. God, I am such a loser. I don't deserve it. What do I I need to lose weight? I need to uh, buff up, whatever, right? So if you don't change the feeling, say they feel unworthy. And say they have had a feeling of the world is screwed. And they go to some gurus like Tony Robbins and they change their beliefs and not knocking on Tony, but they that's one, a lot of limiting beliefs and other coaches that have followed that school. And there's a truth. They are explanations, right? And then it doesn't really change because the same feeling of unworthy is there. Eventually, the brain says, "Well, there's no evidence for this. I still feel." Then the brain will have to, and I say, "Oh no, something's wrong with men." And then they go to a therapist, and they go, oh, "No, you can't say all men. All men. Okay, fine." And and they <laughs> and they go around They go, "Oh no, no, something's really wrong with me." Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that sh- It will shape, but it will that each of those will have the same shape as that feeling. Mm. The heart and soul of this is you were born deserving. Yeah. You were born to expect as a human being, you have a right to feel welcome in this world. Yeah. yeah. Which gives yeah. the right to exist. You were born to feel worthy, which gives the right. These feelings give the right. Mm-hmm. Rights are motivational states. If if feelings had words, they would only say two words, yes or no. Worthy says yes to my needs, unworthy says no. Disempowered says I mean, uh, no to my right to create my experience, no to the right to assert. Empowered says, yes, I can have a voice. Yes, I can have my own. So if we, the key is to reclaim the safety, to reclaim these feelings and let these feelings. And when you have the feelings, you can give them. And when you give them, they feel worthy. And if you really feel worthy, And you feel empowered and cherished and welcomed. See, it gives you a secure love style. This is what secure, these, you know, what's called a secure love style has. And the mark of anybody who is securely attached versus anxious or avoidant is they take no BS, they give no BS. In other words, they give all the rights, they receive all the rights, they give all the feelings they take. Now, with a little alignment, attraction, love works. All this Mm -hmm. is by Mm -hmm. nature what I am looking for. Uh, what i'm going to have to train these you've got to understand the sh- the energetic shape of these rights and feelings and when you pick up the pattern in the um uh the adult couple or the single couple you know 75 to 80 percent of the time i already know the the general story of what happened because i know what the energetic shape is going to predict
0: yeah this is fascinating and, and yeah. more and more questions just keep flooding in. And so we may have to come back to this because it seems as though um, we are in such a state as a civilization. And when I say civilization, I mean globally that um, if we don't start getting a handle on this. And as, as you mentioned earlier in the program, raising the consciousness to to a place where uh, we can create something within community that fosters more love and more acceptance um, we're going to lose it we're going to lose civilization we're going to lose community and that's just kind of where i'm w- where i'm coming from and i'm i'm an optimistic kind of guy uh, my glass yeah. is half full you know and um, uh, you know and 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 so i i i feel like we can do this it's not a question of whether we can or we can't we can the question yeah. is will we will well,
1: we let me let me project this out a little sure. further something i don't normally do but there's no doubt that you know i talk about book love is the operating system Love well, isn't a program like Excel or program or, or PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. It is Windows. It is OS 10 or whatever right. the thing mm-hmm. these <laughs> Right. I got <gotcha>. you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know. But I don't have a map, so I don't know. But I know it. There was an OS 10. Now, if you are looking at this this way, it wires how you create experience. So, notice what a a, a missing right to exist. If it gets in positions of power, will not support support climate initiatives Mm -hmm. it has no right to exist Mm -hmm. and it can give no right to exist when i and i have noticed that when i look at politicians who have not opted to understand this seminal issue of our day we've got about 10 years Mm -hmm. you can pretty much there's there is if you find anything about their childhood yeah that's where it's coming from Mm -hmm. right um but the point is, is you know, the the world gives us a right to exist, and w- and in secure love we have to give it back. Mm-hmm. When we take and we don't give back to the world, the world will n- will will not give back. to This right to exist does exist on a geopolitical global level, yeah. and we yeah. must foster secure love. Must, you know what would you rather have? I once was talking uh, on, you know, what would you rather have in terms of politician? Let me break it down to a corporate structure. There's a, there was a study in organizational psychology that pointed out that in the top 500 corporations, Fortune 500, 20% of the CEOs had what's called antisocial personality disorder. Wow. That meant, now, that's very avoidant, non-secure, take, dominate, attachment, And that's just the clinical term for that, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, I was once in an airport talking to a guy that was a consultant, high-level consultant at big companies, right? He always worked at C-levels. And he he told – we were talking about this, and he said, yeah. He says, I've worked for companies like that. And what he's talking about is what it's like, and the culture becomes just dominate, control, monopolize the market, you know, outsource – Everything is about take, 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 no giving back, right? Mm -hmm. He says, on the other hand, and it's just about working the people as hard to the bone and then replacing them. He walked into a high level. This is another Fortune 500 company that was run by a CEO that was way described and very secure, 30-year marriage, family man, the whole thing very different than this other type of CEO. And he's there the first week, they're all on the same 4 C-level. And he wants to make a big impression. It's 5.30 on Friday night and he's working hard on his PowerPoint, right? <clears throat> and the CEO just walks by and says, how was your first week, blah, blah, blah. He says, what you doing? He says, oh, I got to work late on this PowerPoint. And the CEO says, I remember it. Don't you have a wife and family? He goes, yeah, I do. He says, but, you know, I've got this first meeting on 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 Monday and I got, it. he says, he says, you'll do fine. Go home and be with your family. Mm. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what, and for that secure, he realizes he goes home. He'll come back Monday and polish it up and make it a lot better than someone who's working and working. Now, yes, there's a short term uh, monetary influx, but look at what it's done to the political thing. When all that happens at the highest levels of our economy, it creates imbalances, and then you get us an eroding middle class. You know, yeah, uh, you know, or you get, you know, th- this is not secure. Task. What most is at the heart of this great divide in our country at the moment is two sides that can't communicate, can't connect, and both. And especially the middle class feels wrong than they were right because they did not get corporations got two and too more avoidant and less responsive. Yeah. You want, no right to have your needs met. Yeah. More yeah. right to be separated and, 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 and get your right, your, you know, than to belong to, a, you know, no loyalty. I mean, these, these, you can look at it through basic attachment yeah. and realize that the old adage, love is the answer, isn't that far off.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and I have to say this because it's an appropriate analogy and it's a real life analogy that I've experienced and we all have to some degree, regardless of which side of the aisle you are on, um, and quite honestly, if I was to place <clears throat> the, uh, the, two, the two candidates for president in 2020... Um as parents and of course they both are but i'm talking about as my parent, my father okay mm-hmm. one of them doesn't give a rip about me only mm-hmm. cares about what he can get uh... only cares about his agenda whatever it is and again it's i'm i'm, I'm trying to keep this as apolitical as i possibly can Um When things don't go right, it's all about him. Mm -hmm. And there are fathers who are like that, who the mother, Mm -hmm. the wife is supposed to be subservient. And the children, he had the children, let's just say for the sake of argument, to work the farm. That was the only reason he had kids, because he needed workers for the farm. All right. Or the factory, whatever. The other one has experienced loss, has the voice that that communicates to me. I may not know you personally, but I do care. And if you come to me and you present me with an issue that's, that's challenging you, I will sit and I will listen. If I can help, I will, but at least I'll listen. Um, and who is interested in all of the children and not just, the older ones or the younger ones or the males or the females. And I have to say that when, when the aforementioned father was in Mm. Phoenix, Arizona, my hometown for a rally in June, 2020, and I'm watching the events unfolding. And this was through a newscast that was, had a commentator there in the rafters giving a report. Mm. I felt so left out. Mm-hmm. And it, again, has nothing to do with politics, has to do with the fact that if this had been my father, he doesn't care. I can't go to him and say, Dad, you know, I, I got this issue. You know, I'm having this, this issue with my wife or uh, I'm having this problem at work with my boss or whatever it is. He didn't care. He's not going to listen. He said, "I'll oh, talk to somebody else. I'm too busy dealing with whatever. And then on the yeah. night that, yeah. um, that, that Biden basically said, yeah, we, we've, we've won. You know, that's been the determination. I sat and I listened to him and I'm going, I could go to this guy and say the same thing and he would care. Yeah, he would. He would at least he would listen with compassion. Now those are the two differences in personalities, not politics, but personalities. Yes, there's huge personality differences. There. That in very different childhoods. Yeah,
1: very different, very different. <laughs> well, look at the two fathers that both men had. Yeah, very different fathers. Sure. One is both are given what they were, were, were are giving what they received,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and one was given very little. In terms of compassion. And
0: and you can't hide that stuff. And that's not something you can make up. Now, maybe Ronald Reagan, he was an actor, could probably act his way through it. But I don't believe that he did. I honestly don't. I've even heard this phrase and I tend to agree with it. And I would probably say this of George Sr., of George Jr., uh, because I'm not uh, on the right or the left, but I was not real happy with Reagan's deregulating of broadcasting in 1981. But that aside, I could sit down over at a bar over a beer and talk with these guys about baseball or or cars or whatever without any problem. I couldn't talk to this guy that I referred to already because he wouldn't care. He's too self-absorbed. And I, I, and I feel sorry for, well, I guess I shouldn't say that because that's just the way he is. And if people, if people resonate with him in that regard, then, then that's their choice. I don't. And neither is wrong. It's just the way that it is. Yes. You know, you use the analogy of the macro and the micro universes. I use that analogy, but in a different way, as far as duality. There is no duality in the macro universe. Things just are what they are. Uh, supernovas explode. Uh, comets collide, meteors, asteroids, everything is moving and shaking and and, and all of that kind of stuff. And on the mac- micro uh, cosmic world, the same thing is happening as above, so below. But in this world where you and I live, we can't seem to get past the dualism of good and bad, right and wrong, uh, good and evil. Well, it just is what it is
1: yeah well as i know we're wrapping up yes right. we are what, as <laughs> as we look at this country i've asked a lot about this this country looks like a bad marriage to me it has all the characteristics of a bad marriage two sides don't listen criticism contempt you know the uh, stonewalling the four horsemen of a bad marriage are criticism left and right without positivity defensiveness not listening to the other side just defending contempt just look at what's going on on twitter and social media how much easily more contempt we give to each other Mm uh and then stonewalling, right just not responding to each other it's rampant i know if a couple you know though if you have the 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 and there's a lot of contempt and we know from couples research that when there is contempt, it predicts the demise of the relationship 94% of the time within 6.8 years. Contempt is the acid rain of love. Yeah. It, well, and there's so much of it. We have got to get to the place where we truly listen to each other. And we're talking about secure versus aggrieved. Hmm. And we have to address the grievances and we have to listen to each other. Yeah. Um, This country once had a a middle class in which I mean, for most of my life, I have voted pretty equally Democratic and Republican Mm -hmm. um, uh, presidents pretty evenly. Yeah, I think it's now four to three. You know. But that, as we polarize, and this is what happens in a bad marriage, Mm -hmm. they will, when there's less and less and less attunement, they go into me, 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 and now they're after each other. And there's a place where it all spins out of control. We need to grow up. You know, there was a book I read in college called Meet Me in the Middle. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you yeah. know because it's very tough to reach out and hold hands and sing kumbaya on both sides of the grand canyon <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so there is you know and all and you can just you know and it's on both of us both sides to listen more carefully yeah to understand the grievance the grievances and the grievances is simply a missing right that's become an identity level assertion yeah you know, most of the people who wear a hat on either side are really saying, these are my missing rights. Please notice them. I have a right to have my needs and to have a, a job that pays me more than $750 an hour, right? I mean, I just look at it, and if you can look at it, love is being addressed. And the fact of matters, is we've done a lousy job addressing it at a national level, at a governmental level. We have missed some cues, and I think... The more attuned politicians, we need them. yeah, so that we can listen and bring more of a togetherness. A consent, I know that people don't like consensus models of politics, and I can understand why because they tended to stay in the middle and never meet anybody. Yeah, but a real consensus should be about in a good marriage, you're looking at reaching a consensus where both sides are getting their needs met, not, you know, as one, con- I, I had one woman at, at a, uh, an event. I heard her say under her breath, I wonder when she's reading part of a manual for couples and I had said something about compromise and I heard her say as I was going to the back of the room before it started, oh my God, I wonder what part of my soul I'm going to give up today. <laughs> that's not the compromise I'm talking. That's not the consensus I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about us really doing as much as we can to truly make each other feel welcomed yeah. and worthy and cherished and empowered. Yeah. And I don't think either side is addressing that. What if we had a politics that addressed those ways and really could get the ball rolling? Oh. It's going to be difficult because we're at this, trust me, it's hard when you're this far apart,
0: Yeah,
1: but we've got to come together. And that's what I'm it's, hoping we do.
0: And it's not impossible. And I will share with you that I think I've heard this. <clears throat> I've heard it said that in uh, uh, de- uh, courses on debating, that the students are often uh, uh, put up in debates. Uh, The instructor finds out where they're coming from philosophically and Mm -hmm. has them debate from the other side. Mm -hmm. Because they already know all of the talking points for the side that they agree with. All right. You're, You're a blue stater. All right then you're going to be debating from a red state perspective and you have to be convincing and vice versa. And I honestly, I I think that that goes to the analogy of walking a mile in someone else's moccasins or shoes, whatever the case may be, Uh, because until we start going down that road, we're not going to find the compassion. But I'm optimistic like you dr gary uh, salier is my guest and he is the author of yes folks it is safe to love again it is safe to love again and he's got some great opportunities for you uh, to learn how to release the pain of past relationships as well as create the love you deserve and you do deserve love Uh, i will say this uh, doctor that um, for those who, who, would, uh, who adhere to the, the Christian philosophy uh, and the sacrifice, uh, I used to hear it said that uh, you know, we were nothing but lowly worms until the sacrifice. And I got to thinking about that for a long, long time, and I got to realizing that's not true. If we had zero value to the creator, and again, this is under that philosophy, If we had zero value, there would have been no sacrifice because, hey, I can just create more. But obviously, we must have been of some value for there to have been a sacrifice in the first place. And I honestly believe we were priceless before and even if it's possible, more priceless after. And uh, I think that we as individuals need to start realizing that and realizing that in one another. And I think we're going to go a long way. We are going to go a long way on this program uh, to bring this program to a close. Talk about long ways. Uh, But we are going to first uh, ask you three final questions. I thank you so much, though, for joining us here on this program and sharing your ideas. And this is to me fascinating because I think this is going to go a long way to help us to start raising changing and raising that consciousness that needs to be in a place where we can create new things. As Einstein said it, you cannot solve uh, the current issues and problems of the world with the same consciousness that created it. So if we raise our consciousness, we can deal with and solve anything. And I thank you for uh, sharing that concept with us as well, especially when it comes to relationships. Thank you. My final three questions uh, before I ask them are the uh, the statements to our listeners. Thank you for listening to the program at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings and 1 a.m. on uh, I beg your pardon, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Sunday morning and evening and Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at those times at RichardDugan.com. With podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many others that you are reposting to. Thank you for doing that. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, we would greatly appreciate Appreciate it. Just go to our PayPal link on the homepage of RichardDugan.com. It's for your security as well as ours. Go to our guest's website. I highly recommend that you do so. And it's GarySalyer.com. That's G A R Y S A L Y E R.com. And participate in this the decade of perfect vision the 2020s Uh, go within and uh, listen to that still small voice and to my guest my first of three questions who is gary
1: salier i'm just a traveler in the universe i feel like the traveler isn't quite it but i feel like i've been on a journey i signed up for certain lessons to have a certain purpose so if I were to, no, I guess the better word is I'm a purpose-driven, a purpose-filled, and it's about leaving a legacy of love.
0: Yeah. What
1: What is it that you
0: hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now?
1: My generation has always been to change a generation's fate with love. We have ways... you know, the secure has been falling, more anxious and avoidant rates coming up, the problems we've talked about. Wouldn't it be great if? If marriages could be truly loving and lasting, like uh, instead of the, you know, and not a 50% rate, which, you know, is probably, since some people don't record that, it's probably more than that. That's yeah. what I want. So people to, and for our society uh, and our world to heal because love is a better way of being in the world. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is, uh, I'd like to, I, and the work that I do, uh, is a groundbreaking theory. That's why I'm training some therapists this week. Uh, my life's work is to change a generation's fate with love, to, you know, how do we get back to, if we, for those of us who weren't born in a, with a secure family, right, that were born with a more anxious or avoidant, uh, you know, how do we get back to that secure place that is our birthright? We were born worthy of love. We were born deserving, So it is about being someone who leaves a legacy of how we can truly change and get back to true love.
0: Dr. Gary Salyer, I thank you again for joining us here on the program and sharing with us safe to love again. And I encourage people and we will be linked to your website so they can go there and find out more about you, the work you're doing, as well as order a copy of your book. And I really do appreciate the time we've spent.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. And I thank
0: very you much. for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal.